recognize when you are in the presence of a wonderful young caregiver. Um, and I'm not saying this, this to big up myself, but rather to acknowledge that young caregivers are extremely strong people, uh, like the people I've met. Um, they take on so much. I have immense, immense respect for them at, at carrying the weight of our failed healthcare and social services on their shoulders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn more about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Ms. Kibisha Vilaydepile. Kibisha is a medical student who is also a champion for environmental health and social justice. She prioritizes spaces for folks who've experienced severe mental distress. Today, Kibisha is going to share with us her experience of being a young caregiver. Grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Hi, Kavisha. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you so much for coming. No you, problem, Nikita. Thank you for having me. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. So my name is Kavisha, and I am a settler, Ilangetamar settler, who was born and raised in Jijage, the traditional lands of the Ganyengehaga, and currently live in Tikaranto, also colonially known as Toronto. Great. Thank you. So, Kavisha, you're here today to talk to us about being a young caregiver. Could you please define the term? Absolutely. So, a young caregiver, and I can share from like how I understand it, it's basically someone who is below, and there are variations in how people define it or different organizations define it, but someone who's generally under the age of 20, 24 or under, and have caregiving responsibilities towards family members and family loosely defined. And so I have just very recently aged out of that, but have spent like a grand majority of my life as a young caregiver and now a caregiver. So I guess not, not so young anymore. So can you tell us about your experience being a young caregiver, how you got started? What's in? So I guess like also I can try to start at the beginning and Part of me is like, what is the beginning really? Because there, it, it is a, a hard place to locate myself to. But I have been a young caregiver or had been a young caregiver for as long as I can remember, caring for family members with different health conditions over the course of my life. So when I was really young, this could mean ensuring that family members, depending on their health condition, had someone to accompany them in different like social spaces, providing support as like a, a young kid, encouraging family members to take medications. And later on in life, because I'm the last of three children, my older siblings were like, let, let me go back to earlier on in life, but earlier on life, my older siblings were taking a lot more of those responsibilities of caregiving. So doing a lot of just like translating because we are of like Ilangi Tamil origins and my parents come from Ilangi, which is often referred to as Sri Lanka, um, as like my father as an asylum seeker, my mom as was then sponsored here. They have like their native language is Tamil and they are most comfortable with Tamil and less, they definitely do speak English and French and, but less comfortable with those languages. And so when we were growing up, my my siblings would do like a lot of translation, a lot of just like, let's say 
either of my parents had to maybe there was like some sort of health condition that came up for the family. My siblings would take on more of like a caregiving role for me because of those reasons. And then so later on in life, I like got older and was able to navigate the healthcare system better. I started taking on more of an active role in my caregiving responsibilities. And I I do want to say like oftentimes there's this narrative of caregiving being a burden to people. And I do absolutely recognize that and like have felt it my myself as well because of our the lack in, in services in our healthcare and social structures. But at the same time, I was also raised with like a very strong connection and rootedness to family. And so I, I take a lot of pride and appreciation and gratefulness to have learned from my family members, each and every one of them in, you know, to in different capacities, like caring for them. Um, and them caring for me. Uh, So it's like, it also is a source of pride and a source of love and like a source of just appreciation for the journeys that they've been on and for how much like access that I've had to their journeys. So you just explained that your older siblings had caregiving roles, but then as you became older, you stepped into that role, I presume in part, maybe because they left home or moved on with your life in some way. And when you were speaking, something I wondered was, well, if you're translating or going to the doctor, like, how does that work with school? Fantastic question. (laughs) Because that is at the, sometimes at the crux of a lot of uh, young caregivers experiences. It's navigating all of these different aspects of our life, like school, like friends, work, life, (laughs) the rest of life, whatever we want to name it. Um, but school, it, it was really challenging. Actually, like, it's funny because it only became really challenging in university. And I'm, I'd be happy to get into that because I have a lot to say there. But like, just in general, like when it, when it was elementary or high school, Seja, um, and my initial years in university as well, just it was so normal to have to balance school and to know that so few people, if at all, were going to understand the realities that I was facing. And so would be able to like provide accommodations or anything like it never even crossed my mind that I would be able to get any form of accommodation because for instance, like sometimes it would be like an appointment where I had to go and translate. Sometimes it would be like just um, like having calls with the doctor and following up for like appointments. It would be picking up medication. Sometimes it would be just like ensuring that different services were in place and that I was also doing the work of actually like caregiving emotionally and like doing whatever roles I needed to do um, to, to provide support for my, my family members. So it's like, there was such a variety of roles and, and continue to be a variety of roles that I have to take on that. Like it's so outside of the scope of a typical notion of a student or a young person that it's like, if you bring this up, it, it just falls on like, I guess like ears or, or I guess for, for a lot of people in these like educational or like uh, teacher roles or, or counselor roles, it's so outside of their conception of what like a young person does. And so like bringing it up, it either gets um, sidelined, like it doesn't get the due attention that it deserves, or it just gets, or like some form of surprise and like Someone wants to provide consolation. And it's like, that's not what I need. What I need are actual services. Like what I need are actual support. 
all to say, like coming back, how, how did I handle that? It was a lot of just, sometimes it was miss, missing school. Sometimes it was um, just figuring out like how to be really good with like scheduling um, and time management. Um, and then like, you know, it definitely had so many impacts on, and I've had this conversation with other young caregivers as well um, of how many, how profound the impacts can be in like, you know, socializing, like instead of going to socialize, sometimes like going after school, I would think about, oh my God, like, um, what appointments do I have to go to? Or like, sometimes it was like several crises, you know, like spending weeks or days trying to deal with like an emergency situation, you know, and it's, there was never any space to have those conversations either with like, or barely any space to have conversations with my friends, um, or school, um, and it, it did have an effect on the way that I navigated school, for instance, sorry, I, I know I'm going on about this, but like, I have so much to say to Kina. It's like, I, I have so much frustration for the erasure of young caregivers and of caregivers in general, but especially of young people who do this work, you know? So I, like, I remember during my master's, um, instead of like going off to another province, I had to make the decision to stay at home because of my uh, responsibilities. And it was such a, like, I was very thankful that I did make that decision because I think if I hadn't made that decision, it would have like led to things that were really like even more challenging um, in terms of like people's health conditions and stuff. But because I was at home, I, like there was so much, like I was just like rooted in a lot of, just like, how do I, how do I ensure that I'm caring for my family, you know, um, instead of like, you know, going out, like doing what the other like early 20 ish year olds were doing. Like I was doing like crisis response. I was educating health professionals about like trauma informed care. I was like seeking out health services. I was like dealing with real, um, can I say it real shit? But I guess the, the bright side, if if you can call it that, that, that I hear is it sounds like you were not like a primary or a secondary school student who had to miss school to go with, to accompany your parents to an appointment to translate. It sounded like that happened a little bit when you were older and had arguably a more flexible schedule. Um, a bit more so. I definitely had to do a little bit of that in my later years of high school mm -hmm. and my siblings had to like as young caregivers they did that both I don't think they had to like miss school in primary school mm -hmm. um but definitely had to do like a lot of that navigating like school and and their responsibilities when they were like in high school for sure and some of it in elementary but maybe not like actually missing school but I I am definitely like 100% grateful for like the path that my siblings had carved out and how I was because I was the youngest child at least for my circumstance and my family's circumstance, I only had to like um, take on these duties a bit more, like step in a lot more uh, once I got older. So that was definitely like in Sejap, it was like, that's when I think everything kind of like sprouted. Um, but uh, yeah, later in life, I'd say is where, where a lot more of those responsibilities came in, uh, but definitely was still, um, taking part in some of those responsibilities earlier too. Apart from translation, can you describe some of the tasks or responsibilities that a young caregiver, or at least you had to engage in? Sure. I can like a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the times when we 
when we have these discussions about young caregivers, there are certain roles that are well known. And there are certain people who live more like, who have more, I guess, uh, roles that are on one end of the spectrum where it's like a lot of very just serious responses and, and like maybe crisis responses. And I, I can get into those a bit as well. But in terms of just like day to day, it could be things like um, ensuring like there's a schedule for follow up and uh, on medication, um, ensuring that we're doing like we're educating ourselves to ensure that our family members are best cared for, like maybe like searching up diet, um, understanding the side effects of medications, understanding the, the interactions between medications, like really informing ourselves about like being a pharmacist, essentially picking up medications. Um, and then there's the whole deal of like navigating healthcare systems, like translating and then like also in some circumstances, also advocating for when a translator is not necessary. Like I've been put, I recognize that there's a lot of power dynamics between um, in families where like patients aren't given the due process that they deserve to speak for themselves. And that's why a translator is really important. But sometimes like so often, even to this day, there have been so many moments where like I'll go in with one of my family members and my family member would much rather have me there translating because I give them a wider context and I speak about the issue or like the challenge that they're experiencing in a way that they understand. Um, and it's not just a direct like word for word translation. If that's like, and sometimes translators bless their souls, they, they do wonderful work, but sometimes it's not even like a word for word translation, but like, it's like advocating for the fact that like, hey, my family member really does not want a translator. They want me present and they want me to do that work of being that mediator. Um, so it's like, like yes, it's, a, it's a, another task for me to do that translation, but I'm, I'm there like offering my services. Please take it and please take it if my family member is also advocating for that. Um, so like doing that type of work, um, looking for services, um, for instance, Quebec does a very poor job at trauma-informed care, care uh, as does the rest of Canada. Um, and and I'm, I guess, like, I'm not going to be, like, any less blunt about it because it's, it's something that I've had to navigate for a, a long time. Um, but it's, like, searching for those services, searching for services, especially when you're part of, like, a racialized migrant community, um, looking for services that are, like, more Anglophone, looking for services that understand the lived realities of your family members like like kind of doing that like searching and like being a social worker essentially like and I know I don't have those creden credentials and would never claim to like work in that capacity but at the same time it's like I did take on a lot of those roles you know like I, I did take on like the searching the the liaison building like a lot of that stuff um let's see what other tasks it's like um I don't know, like, uh, like sometimes getting groceries, like I often found myself like part, like yeah, one of my siblings used to, one of my siblings or I used to be like the, the grocery driver uh, a lot. And I, I think one of my siblings still is since they, they're still at home. Um, but doing that work, um, crisis response, I'm sorry. I, I think so like, who, who, who teaches you these things then? You know, like as a young person, who's teaching you about scheduling and researching medications and, and stuff like how, how do you learn this? 
Oh, good question. <laughs> These are fantastic questions. Um, no one, absolutely no one. Um, you end up, at least, at least I, I don't mean to speak for all caregivers, but you, well, at least I, I noted that, and like I know this was the case for my siblings as well, noting what wasn't working, noting all the ways that our systems, our healthcare, and I can't reiterate this enough for like all young caregivers, but especially for young caregivers who are part of like marginalized communities and certain marginalized communities more than others even. Like it's like seeing and knowing and experiencing the very profound gaps and the erasures in our social and healthcare services and knowing that you have no choice but to fill those gaps. Um, and it's especially present if you come from a family where, or come from like um, a history or like a, a culture where that support for family members is very much hard rooted. Um, and like that definitely is the, the, the sort of like background that I come in from. And I, I see that more of a strength than anything. Um, because it's allowed me to step up to the plate when when our systems have failed us. Um, but it's sort of kind of like, uh, yeah, just knowing, like identifying where these gaps are, like sort of, um, how can I put this, like for the medication in specific, knowing that um, my family member who didn't have access to um, like searching the internet, like they didn't know how to navigate it and like access a lot of these resources like WebMD and stuff, and look for interactions of like medications that, that have names that like barely anyone can pronounce, right? <laughs> and it's seeing that their lived experience and their their experience of, of health care was inadequate and knowing that you had the resources to be able to better navigate the system with them and to then like step into that role and to be like, oh, okay, like this is how I can support type of thing. And it, I guess it's just learning through that experience, you know? So why would you have to look on WebMD for like contraindications of a medication? Isn't that something the pharmacist would tell you when you go to fill the prescription or the doctor and the appointment? Like, why was that necessary? Uh, I, I laugh because it's like, it's so telling because it should be, it shouldn't have been necessary. It should, like, especially as a young caregiver, there should have been far, there should be far more support when a, a young person is involved in the care of a family member, especially when it, it might come to a parent, you know, like, where is that support? And the, the issue is that no one provided us with those resources. No, there was never, honestly, never a time when I went into the doctor's office or a pharmacist or a health professional's office and someone was like, oh, I see that you're a young person providing care for your family member, how can I support you? Like, like, or what are you doing in terms of like care or, or just, I mean, they were seeing it, but it was never, that's what I'm talking about, right? It's that erasure. It's that lack of acknowledging that, that there needs to be more done to inform people and to sit with them and to, to provide these services, you know, and I'm saying this also as like a first year med student, right? Like, it's, I am now in a system where I'm seeing that, and I knew this beforehand as well, but a lot of these like individual health professionals are constrained by the very system that we're embedded in. Um, but it's also up to us to reshape these systems so that we're not leaving young people, like a 15-year-old or like a 12-year-old go off with their parent who has limited access to English 
um, without receiving the necessary information and the necessary support that they deserve in being able to navigate their health conditions and the healthcare systems. It's unacceptable to me. Like, how is that? How is that even possible in our healthcare system where we understand that, like, there's so many inefficacies? We talk about in medicine, like in this first year, we're, we're often talk about, talking about gaps in our, or like cracks in our healthcare system. And I am in vehement, vehement disagreement that these are cracks in the healthcare system. These are massive gaping holes in our healthcare system. And we have a role and a responsibility to fix them, especially when it comes to marginalized communities. And, and, and I would add young caregivers, but like, you know, especially marginalized communities. So. I will. That's really, you've, you've got me thinking in so many different ways, because like when I envision this, I envision a child more or less accompanying their doc, their, their patient to a doctor. And I wonder how the conversation would not be like, oh, well, what help do you need? Do I need to get a social worker involved? It just seems like it would be the question to ask. <laughs> but, Which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it you know, like, it's still mind boggling to me. And that's why I call it the erasure, right? I'm not saying that every, every healthcare professional does this. But I can very confidently say that with because I've been so active, and I've done that navigating of the healthcare system, I guess, like, in my circumstance, perhaps seamlessly in a way, where healthcare professionals found that I was providing them with more support. And for them, it was like easier now that I was there. They now saw me as like just a someone who was playing a supportive role and there to help their healthcare team, which is yes, like true. But it's like, how do you like I I can't like I, I don't think that's the way that we should be rationalizing it, essentially. Um, I think there's far more responsibility that needs to be taken. And that being said, um I think for for my siblings who came before me, like who were doing this well ahead or or well in advance than like than I was um they they definitely like especially when they were younger they certainly were experiencing like a lot more challenges in navigating that healthcare system but again like no one you know no support there you know like uh last time yeah I will can you give an example of any challenges that you faced as a young caregiver and how you overcame it absolutely it's a bit hard because I think what comes to mind is just the challenge of being a young caregiver who is seeing that there's something wrong, like systematically has been wrong in the care of your family members. And especially as it relates to situations of marginalization, like being a racialized person who is also a migrant and low income, for instance, like knowing that our healthcare system informally treats people in these circumstances and like with different marginalizations differently and then advocating for better care and then and then like having on top of that being like a young person and and someone who is perceived to be a woman and like a south asian woman is is very challenging because sort of I've I've been it's more of like it's not any overt things that have been said to me but more of the constant pushback like if I was a white male in my 60s with an MD degree saying the same things that I had said 
in the various like health professionals offices or social sectors, like in terms of the lack of care, the negligence, the need for more social support for the family, the need for more intensive follow-up, the need for additional trauma-informed services. If I was, I was saying these exact same things, but if this was coming from someone in a, in a much more privileged location in society, these asks or demands would have been responded to so much differently than my asks. The reason I, I like maybe in those individual circumstances, perhaps not, maybe that health professional would have done the same, but knowing that this was constantly a barrier to be taken seriously was exhausting and continues to be exhausting. Knowing that also questioning yourself, because part of that is internalized, right? You know what you live through, you know what your family members are living through, but then to be able to articulate it in a way that is, that resonates with the health professional and the language and the type of dialogue that they value as being adequate or as proper is so, so difficult. So you, you end up learning some strategies about how to articulate in a certain way, how to demand for your asks in a certain way. And sometimes you just have to go in there and be very explicit and direct about like, it's that it repeatedly happens. Like, you know, just life or death situations that some of the people I care about have been in. And I've been in situations where I've had to, had to like repeatedly state that we need services. We need something more to save this person's life and still being dismissed in these situations as well. You know, going back to your, your question of what have been your roles in, as a young caregiver, I have literally been a leader in their healthcare team, which is hilarious. At age 17, why was I, why was I the one telling the doctor what they should be doing in terms of their approach to care, um, in terms of approaching care from a more holistic perspective and not just doing medications. That's so ridiculous. Like you need, I know this is a bit decontextualized because I'm not explaining the wider context of the person's health condition, but I was advocating for nutritional support. I was advocating for social support. It's, these are the social determinants for Pete's sake, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I've told the doctor what to do. Like, I, I'm not in a way where I'm like aggressive again. Like, I think a lot of the times, like people might shut down in the way that I'm speaking. It's because I've had to go through this so much that I'm exhausted and I know where the gaps are. I just need people to listen. <laughs> um, but like, you know, being like, and kind of going back to this idea of what do I mean by when I say that I've been a leader in their health care team um, is that I've been the main mediator between family members and the healthcare team, various respondent or various partners in the team, um, like doctors, social workers, pharmacists. Um, I've had to educate them about what trauma-informed care is and actually tell them to refer us to a certain service and justify why we needed to be referred to that service. Um, I've had to, oh, geez, <laughs> like way too much, way too much, Nikita. It is, it's ridiculous. We are erased and we need to stop being erased. And especially when it comes to people who, who are part of marginalized communities, because it is marginalized communities who our systems are not made for. And it is us who continue to fall 
through these gaping holes in the system um, and us who continue to be erased. Have you had an example where you spoke up and maybe the person said, oh, well, actually, thank you for saying that I hadn't considered or, you know, something more positive. Yes, many an occasion. Thank you for making space for that as well. I think like one place, I like there, there have been several examples, but never without constant push, like a constant sort of being like, you need to focus on this. I know what I'm talking about. Or just repetition, I found can be helpful. But let's see, there was one example where I was working with a social worker and talking about the response to a physical health condition that a family member was experiencing. And we were talking about just the ways in which we needed to respond to the care of this family member. And it was relating to a digestive health condition. Mm -hmm. And so like it, it came out of like a crisis moment. And that's, I think, what made this social worker more like attuned to my suggestions. But essentially I was like, you know, historically medications only have not worked. We need to approach the care from a multidimensional perspective, knowing that medications aren't the only things that solve issues, health issues. We need to take a more community approach or we need to engage with the person's diet. And that suggestion about diet and constant follow-up, daily follow-up with the family member was another thing that I'd suggested which the, the social worker was on board with. And essentially we formed like a care plan collectively with myself, the family member, my family member and other family members and the social worker. And so like in those moments when healthcare workers do validate us, like young caregivers, but also caregivers in general, in those moments when they do actually value us as equal members and vital members of the healthcare team, that's when patients best without like also recognizing that caregivers like sometimes or often or always there is a power dynamic you know and like that the healthcare professional should also be there to ensure that the patient's voice is heard but when they are using their role to facilitate that dialogue and to not diminish the role of the caregiver that's when I've seen care be at its best so I really want to emphasize that if there are healthcare professionals um, for listening to this, that it is so essential that you really give due process and give due value to what their caregivers, in addition to patients. I'm glad you mentioned power dynamic, because that's one thing that I wanted to ask you. Were you ever intimidated having to take on this role? Oh, 100%. All the time. All the time. I was intimidated knowing that I was working in a structure that systematically oppresses marginalized communities and embedded within these structures are healthcare professionals who like I felt knew more than I did, which like often was the case, but for biomedical stuff, for pathophysiology, but not necessarily for the social determinants and what community resources were out there. Mm -hmm. So it's like even just the types of knowledge and the types of dialogue that are valued and considered legitimate in these systems, it was always like navigating that power dynamic. And sometimes you have to do it strategically. It's like knowing that, yes, you have to validate what the healthcare professional is saying. And then it's only after that can you add, but just saying like, even in the word choices, right? Like I, I learned that 
It's not as productive to say, let's look beyond the biomedical, but instead saying, in addition, what are some complementary ways, you know, that we can use social determinants or use community services, you know? So it's even the more minute like that, it was, it was knowing that you were stepping on eggshells a lot of the time. And it was honestly like, and it, it's really like sometimes playing a chess game. Like you have to know which connections to make. You have to know where and when to speak up and where and when to sit down. I'm still always, always learning that. And it's so, so hard, especially navigating such a hierarchical structure with so many power dynamics. Um, yeah, always navigating those power dynamics. What do you want people to know, Kadisha? <laughs> Ooh, that is a, <laughs> a loaded question. But I want people first and foremost to know that young caregivers exist and that we need services. We don't just need mental health support, which is, yes, that's something that is so necessary and so important. But the reason we are in these situations or I was in these situations, I keep forgetting that I aged out. But the reason that young caregivers are in these situations is because we're taking on these roles that our healthcare and social services are not taking on, right? Like the whole translation thing, the whole navigating the medications list, the whole responding to crisis situations, and essentially being a case manager for your family member. Like, what is that? That is ridiculous. Like, our healthcare systems need to put into place these structures to support. And this goes back to a lot of our assumptions in healthcare systems as well, is that we are treating an individual. No, you are not treating an individual. Yes, you are like part of your care is an individual, but that individual may be a parent, they may be a sibling, they may be a grandparent. And who is caring for that individual? Are there young caregivers? Are there children involved? If there are children, if there are young adults involved, you are also responsible for their care. Um, and I'm sorry that might not vibe with a lot of healthcare professionals, but as a growing healthcare professional, I am 100% committed to challenging a lot of these notions that are inherent in our healthcare systems. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to leave people with that. And in addition, I want to harp on the fact that young caregivers from marginalized communities are facing so many more levels of barriers to their circumstances, because again, healthcare and social services, like we're, we're having to advocate, for instance, if we're seeing that there are racialized dynamics where our family members are racialized individuals or, or low-income individuals who inherently within the system, it, it's more difficult to navigate. Like you have overt and covert racism, overt and covert classism. You know, we're not taught to be entitled to get certain services, but actually in Western healthcare institutions, if you are not arguing for your right for healthcare, you are not going to get the proper healthcare services. And it's sure, some people might be living in this world where they do, but that's because they've been given these resources and they haven't had to like, to, to challenge their worldview of questioning healthcare authority, you know? So it's all of that. We have to do that multifold more. And if you come from a community where authority is not questioned, um, it is far, far more difficult to do that. Uh, and I can speak from experience. 
Um, but I, I want to leave people with those thoughts. And I, I want to leave people, especially with the thoughts that one, recognize when you are in the presence of a wonderful young caregiver. Um, and I'm not saying this, this to big up myself, but rather to acknowledge that young caregivers are extremely strong people, uh, like the people I've met. Um, they take on so much. I have immense, immense respect for them at, at carrying the weight of our failed healthcare and social services on their shoulders. <laughs> and I, I like, yes, one recognize when you are in, they are in their presence, but also like provide them with additional supports, but you have a, an obligation to advocate with and for them for more supports um, at the structural levels. So I want to leave people with those thoughts. Something I want to ask you more about, Kavisha, is you keep saying we need social supports or I would have liked more social support. What type of support would you want? Because, for example, you mentioned translators. And I know somebody can jump up and say, well, what's she talking about? All hospitals have translators. So, like, what, what supports do you feel you lack that you would have wanted? Yes. Fantastic question. So, for instance, for translators, um, actually offering this up to the like family member or for the to the young caregiver, asking them about what their schedules like for school, like wonderful idea, you know, like, it's like, just like asking very basic questions of like, okay, like, would a translator be helpful? What do you think? What do you two or three or whoever's involved in that care? What do you folks think would be most effective? Asking them if they need wider social supports, do they need to be connected with a community center? If, oh my gosh, if some of these healthcare providers could be connected with community centers and actually be aware of the services that are available to them in community, that can alleviate so much stress. And it can also provide more of the community network for people to be supported outside of hospitals or health centers. Do you feel well-informed about the medication? Like even just like educational stuff like that. Do you feel like you know what we're talking about here? Do you fully understand the health condition? Even mental health support, you know, like that, I know I said it's not the only thing, but it is something really important. Like asking them, asking the young caregiver and the family member, are you doing okay? Like just a basic question like that. It's actually advocating for our healthcare systems to have family oriented care services. So for instance, if an individual is coming in for treatment for their physical health or mental health condition, um, to offer, to recognize that this individual is part of relationships of care, that they might be a parent or a sibling or whatever that might be. And what does it mean to provide care for this individual in holistic care for both this individual and their family? So I think more broadly speaking, not just band-aid solutions, but more so like actually integrating into our healthcare systems, family-oriented forms of support like um like, let's say, yeah, again, if a healthcare person, if a patient comes in, um, or do they have relationships of care? Is a young caregiver involved? Um, how can we ensure that we're both caring for the young caregiver or the care, like just in general, the caregivers, as well as for the patient while prioritizing the needs of the patient? How can we like just not erase caregivers, you know? Like, how do we ensure that we're taking a family-based approach? Because the reason I'm saying this like as being so essential is because caregivers are so essential in providing the care of the patients, right? If you're not providing effective care for that caregiver, there are downstream health consequences that they then face that 
jeopardize the care of the actual patient. If I can make a health economics argument about this, it's just, it's going to cost the healthcare system more in the long run. So why not just provide adequate family-based support, give them a social worker, give them a, a nutritionist, give them a physician, a mental health care worker. Where is our team-based care in this? <laughs> so concretely, you're saying social support that would be useful just sounds like just having more conversations about how is this not only impacting the patient, but how is this impacting the caregiver and what other needs might you need? Do you need mental health services? Can I connect you to your local community center? Do you need to see a dietitian? So viewing you all as more holistic would be some helpful social support. And then your health economics argument is interesting because it sounds like you're saying we've got person A in the system here who costing the system money for their various ailments. Person B is their caregiver who is potentially stressed out, suffering some mental and social consequences as a result of the role that they're taking on. And if you don't look after them, then you've got both A and B in the system costing you money as opposed to just one person, which is 100%. Okay. <laughs> you have very concisely laid out both of my arguments. <laughs> yes, 100%. Perfect. Oh, geez. I like there was one other thing that I wanted to add to that to do regular follow-ups because conditions, people, and like the, the relationship of care can deteriorate really quickly, especially in crisis moments. Um, Follow-up just to check in and to, to let the caregiver and patient know that they're being supportive, supported is so vital. Um, and to have like a case manager. So the young caregiver is not having to be that case manager, which is like, you know, Healthcare professionals should be communicating among each other. Um, and I recognize that it's really hard in a system that doesn't isn't conducive to that. So we need to build better systems. Um, so I need to have a conversation with a healthcare administrator at some point. A word you have used a lot in our conversation is crisis. You have an example of a crisis. Somebody who's listening to this is like, what in heaven's name is she talking about? Yes. <laughs> yes, great question. So when I refer to a crisis, I'm referring to, for instance, uh, a rapid deterioration in health that requires emergency services, whether that be responses from the um, ambulance or the police, which I have a whole other perspective about and an adamant perspective about because I am very strong on the notion of police should not be involved in crisis responses to wellness or any other forms of crisis health responses. It is incredibly harmful, especially for uh, Black Indigenous communities, um, especially for people who experience severe forms of distress. Um, so I, I do not support that at the same time. In order to avoid that, we need to build into our systems like communities of care where like people who are responding, first responders are not responding in a policing manner, but they're responding in a care manner and like looking to de-escalate the situation and actually responding through care rather than criminalizing people. Um, so I, so that's what, when, when I see the police are involved, it's not because I support that involvement, but more so because that has been what I have heard and have, have seen through experiences. Um, is, is that helpful? 
I think that is helpful because it sounds like a crisis is basically an emergency state. This is critical. Yes. We need more help from the outside, whether that's an ambulance, a policeman or something to help me address the situation that's going on. And as a result, after that, I need some follow-up. Yes. Myths and misconceptions. Are there any myths and misconceptions that you have heard of as it relates to young caregivers that you would like to dispel? That young caregivers are not informed, <laughs> that we do not have, and th these are not overt, but more so like underlying assumptions that people have, uh, that we are not equipped to deal with certain health conditions, yet you're not providing us with the services otherwise. So I don't know what some people tend to talk about in these circumstances, because um, there's often like, there, there's often this notion of like, oh, you shouldn't be taking on these responsibilities. But it's like, well, if you don't want me to take on these responsibilities, then provide me with the necessary services. Um, so it's like we we have a lot of knowledge that we gain through these processes about the healthcare system, uh, about what needs to change. Um, and so I think like the, the misconception is that young caregivers are just um, providing some like menial role, uh, which is not the case. Uh, we, we have to navigate healthcare systems and, and inform ourselves about the dynamics of a relationship of care and uh, lack of care as, as from the, the healthcare institutions that we don't exist. <laughs> we very well exist. And also another myth that I am very, that I really want to dispel is the myth that young caregivers only do. And I think this is like a myth because maybe young caregiver organizations don't hear from people like myself, but the myth being that like all we do is provide medication or we do is translation, but no, we do like actually leading healthcare teams work. We do advocacy in our healthcare systems. Um, we do, we take on a lot more like, you know, navigating crisis situations. This is a heck of a lot more than for instance, translating, which like is so, so important and so crucial to recognize but also it goes very extreme as well. And there needs to be light shed on these more extreme circumstances where we're there advocating alongside our family members and dealing with really, really tough circumstances. It sounds great. If you were talking to young Kabisha, 15-year-old Kabisha, or even somebody who is going to become a young caregiver for the first time and just happened to be listening to this, but like, what would you say? What do you know now that you wish you knew then? That's a really great question. Um, as, as all of your questions have been. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say this is because I think part of me wishes that I can tell them more, that I can tell them that they have access to services and support. Um, but in Quebec, at least, these services and supports are not there. They're very informal, if at all. And when and if they do reach out to counselors or healthcare workers or teachers, that I'm not fully confident that they would receive the support that they need. The support that I did receive, though, when I was navigating a lot of the really challenging circumstances, was that I received the support from a community organization. I was actually far more equipped to deal with this than anyone in formal positions of power, like health, like healthcare providers or teachers. So if anything, I would say 
try to reach out, try to see what organizations, community groups you might be able to trust or like that might be able to, that you feel like you may, might be able to confide in and seek support from them in how to navigate these healthcare systems. Also, I wish I had done this earlier and I still haven't done this, but might do when I go back to, to, to Jajagi or, or colonially known as, as Montreal, but is reaching out to patients' rights and caregiver rights groups. I haven't navigated those too much, but I think that that could be an opportunity as well. I also want you to know if there are young caregivers listening to this, that you are doing tremendous work, that you are like, know that, that you have the capacity or that you can derive pride from this in a way, like that you are resilient, that you are doing like care work, but also developing a relationship of love with your family member. And that's incredibly profound and incredibly strong. Like that, that both that sense of, of strength and self, that recognition that your family member is, is so resilient and strong. And also that relationship that you have with your family member is so strong as well. So I, I want you to see that as well. And that it's also okay to try to ask for help. Sometimes it might not work and sometimes you might be incredibly disappointed, but try to see who you might be able to reach out to. In Ontario, they have a young caregivers organization. And if you are someone who really wants to touch base with me, I'm, I'm happy to provide my information and have folks reach out and connect and uh, build community, essentially, because in Quebec, we have some, something brewing. So, and in Ontario, there's something present. And if you need someone to uh, just bounce thoughts off of, help you navigate certain processes, I'm happy to connect with you. That's kind of you. You mentioned that there was an, an organization you found that was very helpful to you. How did you find it? Who, who referred you? Or was that your own research? Oh, this was actually a bit serendipitous. I had gone into this community organization because I was trying to volunteer there. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And then I was too young. And so the community workers suggested, hey, why don't you just end up being a participant? I was like, okay. And then slowly I started to develop a relationship with one of the community workers and started to confide in some of the, the circumstances of, of the family members or, or sort of like that I mainly that I was living through. And then they would provide like, like one empathy, which was, I don't know, like empathy that I hadn't gotten before elsewhere. Um, and then strategies on how to navigate healthcare systems, like, you know, visits with the doctor, uh, navigate crisis situations, who to call, navigate housing situations, because that was a whole other thing when you live in public housing and deal with all of that stuff and caregiving. Good thing you wanted to volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. That that I, nicely that you, that you stumbled <laughs> on them. They were like the most incredible, like really, really um, were there for me when I needed them. So um, highly recommend. And I know that this is really like can vary degrees. Um, but if there are community centers where they provide support for youth, they can be good places to just reach out to and see if they might be worthwhile touching base with. What impact has being a young caregiver had on your life? I, I think it forms a large part, part of my identity, um, whether I like it or not. It's, it forms a large part of my identity because 
it's a source of my most essential teachings. And I, I say this time and time again, um, the foundations to my medical education did not come from my first year of medical school. It came from my family members and what they've taught me and what I've had to go through with them in the healthcare systems, um, seeing what I want to change because I'm not coming into medicine because I just want to be a doctor. I'm coming into medicine because I want to apply the lived experiences of my family members and myself and my own lived experiences in order to improve our healthcare systems for mar by and for marginalized communities, by and for people who are experiencing the burdens um, of ill health. So I, it shaped my, the way I interact with people. It shaped the way I interact with our healthcare systems. systems. It shaped um, the way that I understand the relationships that different marginalized communities have with our healthcare systems. It shaped my career trajectory. I don't know if I've already said that, <laughs> but it shapes just the way I, I interact with people. I'm very much like a care-based person. Like I, I take that very seriously. Um, and yeah, it's, it's given me a lot of strength in, in ways that I, like it gave me so much confidence too. like just to, to speak in this way, knowing that, um, like I did justice, at least in part, I, I wasn't perfect at all, but at least to some degree, I was there to support my family members. Um, and I know that I made a difference that makes that like, that was a, an implicit lesson for me to know that if I was able to do this as a caregiver and as a young caregiver, as a racialized caregiver, like with, with so many like other barriers up against me, what can I do as a physician? Um, so, and there, there's like huge problems with like that in terms of the power that physicians hold that I, I really do want to challenge as well and need to challenge. Um, but I think it gave me hope that, that I don't know, that I can kind of expand and, and uh, use other, to get other tools and, and kind of mend, at least start mending uh, or continue mending some of these like gaping holes in our systems, you know? Very nice. I believe you'll be a very compassionate practitioner. Oh, geez. I hope so. I've, I've heard that the further you go in medical education, the more you lose your empathy. Uh, so I am wary about that. And, and, but I always go back to um, the people and the experiences that root me most, that root me most. Um, and these are the, the experiences in, in, in having the privilege to care for, for family members. Like, honestly, it's, it's, and I know this is like, after all the complaining I've done, no, this isn't complaining. This is like very stark analyses of like what's wrong with our healthcare systems, but, um, and like the, the circumstances of young caregivers, but it's been a privilege to see the strength, to see myself grow, um, but also to see the strength in so many, like in so many ways of my family members and other caregivers, young caregivers and other people who are patients as well. And, and, yeah, it's, it's been like an incredible privilege to have had access to these teachings outside of any sort of like formal institution, you know, like this is, this is the type of education that I think um, we all have to give, give due value to um, and should take up, should be making up uh, formal education, but 
that's a whole other story and how patients and caregivers should be shaping medical education and shaping our healthcare systems. But um, yeah. <laughs> Concretely, Kabisha, are there any top tips or however you'd want to phrase it for navigating the healthcare system based on what you have learned? Um, I would recommend knowing your rights, um, knowing your rights, accessing patient rights groups, I wish I did this more, but I definitely did this like via online methods. Even if you can't go somewhere in person or, or it's challenging to like make those social connections, definitely informing yourself of like different circumstances where other caregivers or patients have advocated for themselves, knowing what, what resources are out there, seeking those out, whether that be within the hospital or outside. For instance, what are other community organizations doing? How can community workers support me in navigating these healthcare systems? Sometimes those services are available. Ensuring that you're informing yourself about what is at, like accessible to you, um, and also not like pushing past the fears of advocating for yourself and your community members or for your your family. I mean, because that is a very real fear and a very real barrier that's implicit and is an assumption. And it's true that, you know, you do have these concerns of what if I, if I do seem angry, how is this person going to then care for the person that I like love immensely, you know, like that is a very real concern. But at the same time, there are like legal recourses, there are like other options you can demand for like another healthcare professional. So it comes back to knowing your rights and knowing that sometimes when you advocate for yourself and oftentimes in my experiences, it not only can do good in terms of actual patient care, but it can feel good inside because I think every time I've stayed silent is a time that's chipped away at me. And so like just in terms of aligning myself with my values, that's been really meaningful as well. So yeah, I guess to summarize, knowing your rights, trying to connect with community organizations and patients' rights or advocacy groups, trying to like speaking your truth when you see that something's wrong or when you want more information, you have a right to do that and you have the necessary knowledge through lived expertise to demand for that is also what I would express. And I'm sure I have like thousands of other ideas and young caregivers, there are a lot more folks I think than we know who are allies with us. So I would very much, especially if you are part of certain marginalized communities and there are folks in these communities who recognize certain barriers that marginalized folks face in these healthcare systems, ask them for support. Sometimes it, it can be really demoralizing to when people aren't recognizing the extent of your barriers, but sometimes we just have to go and ask for these supports and we might get it, we might not. And when we do get it, sometimes it's not the best, but when it does turn out to be helpful, it can make a world of difference. So yeah, I think I those are my tips. And something else you said, you mentioned word choice earlier. So it sounds like you have to learn the right lingo. Yeah. Yes, uh, you have, like, in my experiences, I've had to learn how to speak like this, basically. And what I mean by this is being very pointed with my words, being very direct, being careful not to, to swear sometimes, even if I was angry, even if I was frustrated beyond belief, pointing to the facts, sometimes giving people resources. Like, I, I guess like just 
speaking in a way that was palatable so that it didn't create strife within that relationship and left me wondering, okay, like now that this person thinks I'm angry, are they going to provide my family member with worse care or are they going to be reticent to further steps in their care that I suggest or my family member suggests? So sometimes it's, it's trying to figure out how to be, like, I guess how to communicate, right? I think learning learning that And I think like equipping yourself with your rights, equipping yourself with that confidence as well, and recognizing that you do have a place to like advocate for yourself can be helpful. You say all that, and I think how, but I wonder if the how is just by practice. If you practice being confident enough, then you will become confident. (laughs) Or if you practice speaking up enough, then you will. I completely agree. (laughs) I learn by doing, honestly, and sometimes... I I think learn from other people as well. I think one thing I've noticed is that like watching other people who've had more access to privilege be able to demand better care, you know, sitting in an emergency room and just seeing like someone with like a suit or like very like bougie, like kind of clothing come in and come in with that sense of entitlement and being, oh my God, like they were just like, they kind of just stepped all over everyone, which is not at all what I want to do. And I don't think that that's, appropriate either but what I want to do is be able to know that I should also have the right to advocate for myself if this person with a lot of access to resources is a bit of a disclaimer is that uh like my intention is not to say that I have no like privileges especially like the more that I enter into this healthcare institution as a medical learner the more access I have to privilege and resources but all that being said having had access to these tools, now knowing a lot more like who these connections are, how physicians think, how the healthcare system functions is such a benefit. And I will utilize these resources when I advocate with my family members in like future interactions with healthcare institutions. And I've actually found that just knowing how it works, knowing how to speak, knowing how like physicians might be thinking and the different Um, stressors that they experience, knowing that, you know, in in terms of communication and in in terms of working with them on the same team, if I can acknowledge that and work with that is really, really helpful. I, yeah, I I definitely have found a shift in terms of responses from healthcare teams. The more I can leverage the knowledge and tools that I'm learning in medical education, the better, I guess, like the care of my family members are this is part and parcel what it means to access this knowledge and access this privilege as well, which is something that I'm, I do very much know needs to be challenged as well. Cool. Someone shouldn't have to come into medicine to be able to be a better advocate or get better services. You know, like that's, that's, it's infuriating to me. It's absolutely infuriating. Fair enough. You mentioned you had to educate health professionals on trauma-informed care. So I wonder if you were able to give a very Cliff Notes version of what trauma-informed care is for anyone who does not know, and then tell us about what that education process was like. Was it well-received or was it like, who's this little girl telling me about stuff? Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. So trauma-informed care is a way that I, that I have engaged with it from the perspective of a young caregiver and so I'm definitely like not using well I'm 
informed by my experiences now as a med student as well, but more so speaking from the lens of a young caregiver and what I had to like sort of understand it as is recognizing that people's health conditions um, are informed depending on what they are, can be very much informed by the trauma that they've experienced over the course of their life. And that the care that is then provided to them should be attuned to the fact that they've experienced trauma. And that trauma may very well shape their experience of illness and their presentation of illness uh, or disease. And so in seeking out trauma-informed care, it's, it's, for instance, like for a certain physical health condition, Um, Let's say someone has problems with their digestive system and it's related to maybe like malnutrition, for instance, um, and that they have had uh, a lifetime of like, you know, when they were a child and and, or very recently, for instance, as a refugee, they might not have had access. And this isn't like the circumstances of my family members, but I'm taking an example um, that they didn't have that this family, like that this person didn't have access to food because they were in a refugee Uh, camp for instance it's just like knowing that your approach to care your approach to dietary health um, isn't just going to be to be like oh okay uh here's Canada's food guide like that's not going to work like unless I don't know like very rare like I think that that's going to work um but instead like working with them to understand like Maybe it doesn't mean addressing their trauma, but maybe it's just me. It just means being more sensitive to the fact that there's a lot of other factors that are playing into the fact that they are experiencing their illness. You know, I asked you to describe for everyone what trauma informed care is. And as you were giving the description, I think I saw and I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up, but it's like, don't ask somebody what they did, but ask what happened to you or something of the sort. Yeah. So sometimes it, it doesn't mean like. Sometimes it might mean not asking and, and just like c- kind of treating. Okay, so here's the, the basic definition of it. It's like treating like in general everyone as if they experience trauma and having your care be appropriate to that, um, to that like sort of uh, trauma response. So being very sensitive, for instance, if it's a physical health appointment, if someone might have experienced sexual assault, being very mindful of, of not doing a physical exam where you're going to kind of going from behind to choke them or something. Or if there are certain thyroid exams where like you go from the back and you, you kind of like do the test from the back, but it's like checking in with the patient consistently, whether or not they've experienced trauma, whether or not you know of it, it's always going in with a trauma informed approach. So like always assuming at the baseline that someone might've experienced trauma and taking your approach accordingly. So for instance, in, it can also look different, I, I guess, from a young caregiver perspective who was advocating for trauma-informed care. For instance, for mental health, for instance, it means like recognizing that someone's migration trajectory absolutely might like influence the way that they their mental health is. And so just giving a biomedical solution to their mental health condition is not appropriate and it doesn't address the root cause. So it's what can you do as a physician or a healthcare provider to then provide them with services that are more attuned to the trajectory that they've experienced and actually ask questions about that, you know? Very good. Thank you. (laughs) Do you have any closing thoughts as we wind down our conversation? Yeah, I I do. (laughs) Thank you for for making that space. I, I guess one thing that I really wanted to harp on and it's, it's, 
it speaks to the realities that young caregivers who are also young adults face. And it's this dynamic of support or lack thereof in university institutions. And this is, and it's very relevant to COVID and the responses or lack of responses during COVID. Um, and like, I had a really brutal re experience uh, navigating my university structures. Um, and I'd reached out to like eight or nine different people, both deans and ombudspersons at my university for support, explaining to them the caregiving responsibilities that I had. Um, and actually having responses from people saying that, um, I'm sorry that you have distractions in my in your life. Um, I am going through the same thing. And so who I had in my corner were informal systems. And these included people who are friends, a professor who offered up like a space, informal organi community organizations who gave me access to a space to be alone and do my thesis in and access internet. I actually didn't have access to internet, proper internet for a while too. Um, and like had to sit outside of university spaces to get access to that. And then there was also one social work student who was working with the family care unit, who is typically also like one thing that I really want to harp on is that family care does not just mean parents and children. Family care should be all encompassing, recognizing the, the, the realities of our, all caregivers, whether that be towards children or parents or whomever that needs to be way more inclusive. But luckily, like when I had presented my situation to one social work student, she had actually provided me with support, like that one-on-one -on -one support, allowing me to break down my tasks and like work with me throughout that process. So bless her like soul for, for providing me with that support. And this like all to say, like why this is a closing thought is because right now in medical school, like I've, I actually put a call out to other students who came into medical school with a lot of barriers. And I asked for people if they wanted to join me in being a young caregiver group. And so now we have a young caregiver group where we're like supporting or trying to support other med students who have caregiving responsibilities and supporting other young caregivers who are facing these barriers. And so all to say is that being a young caregiver is a reality and our university institutions need to do better at supporting us financially, space-wise, other supports, accommodations is a massive, massive thing that they need to provide. And this includes financial and otherwise, space-wise. So I will, I guess, like close up on that note. That's a nice closing thought. There is a lot there. Something that came up, well, that I was thinking about when you were talking is, huh, how does a young caregiver take care of herself? How do you take care of yourself? I, I guess like this concept of caring for myself is a difficult one because when my family members are cared for, that's when I feel like I am caring for myself. So if I feel like they had access to certain services or that they're doing well, I do well. So sometimes it's really by just doing more of this. <laughs> and I know it might feel like counterintuitive, but it's just that like my well-being is so interconnected to my family members well-being that I can't parse them apart yeah they're so intertwined but like I guess like other things to create distances like sometimes I would like need physical distance like I would be at school and that's why school was so important as a space and when the university and the government had taken that away from me it was so so challenging to then navigate my own well-being as well but I don't know just like I guess like me as a person I'm also like I love 
the more than human, like anything that is um, like tree, plant, like water. I don't like being in water, but just seeing water, being outside of the city, which I didn't really get a chance to do, especially because if you don't have access to those resources, it's hard to do. But um, I think just like, I don't know, finding ways to decompress with doing things that like nourish me in other ways was really helpful. Like, yeah, in a like biking sports and, and gardening and just laughing with people was and eating. Oh, geez. How can I forget that one? Do you have any way or anything if people want to get in touch with you or follow your work or anything like that? Oh, good question. I, I'm happy to share my email. I do have a Twitter, not relating to young caregivers in specific, but probably like I have a, a website for environmental stuff. <laughs> which is not related but uh, so I guess like maybe email so if they just want to see what you're up to they can do that on Twitter but it just wouldn't be like young caregiver specific but they'll exactly they'll follow your travails and adventures in life <laughs> <laughs> and who knows if I get like a fan club I can 100% start a website for young caregivers to to convene and to come together at. like so would be happy to do that if people start reaching out Sounds like it would be useful. Well, thank you for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Kadisha. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Nikita. It is, I I genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. I feel like this was therapy, if anything. And it was free of charge. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I found it really insightful to hear about Kabisha's experience being a young caregiver. She's courageous and a force to be reckoned with. I have no doubt she'll become an amazing provider and advocate for her patients. I have placed her Twitter handle in the show notes if you'd like to follow her. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And by subscribing to our mailing list, you will also be alerted when new episodes come out. The link to subscribe is in the notes as well. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye!